Kuma jnana tmirandasya Jnana salakaya Chakshurun militam yena Tasmai shi gurve namaha Ajunulam bito bujo kanatabhatatu Sankitanai kapitaro kamalaya takshu Vishwamboro dvijaboro yugadharma palo Vande Jagat Priyakaro Karunabhataro Vande Shri Krishna Chaitanya Nityananda Sahodito Gurudai Pushpavanto Chitra Sangdotamuno Vande Ham Shri Ramakrishna Abhayo Charanasato Sukado Paramanando Sundaro Subhadapriyo Hey Krishna Karuna Sindhu, Inabandu Jagatpate, Gopisha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namos today, Tapta Kanchana Gurangi, Radhe Brindavanishwari, Vishabhanu Sute Devi, Pranamami Hari Priye. Hi, everybody. Hope you're doing well today. Um, Sorry, I'm having a little technical. Here, what? Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm ready now. So, um, today we will discuss the third of four verses of the Bhagavad Gita, which are referred to as the Chatu Shloki. And, um, these are the verses which our acharyas have seen as encapsulating the essence of the Gita. These verses, um, they also have a personal connection to our Guru Maharaj. He tells of a little story of when he was living in a rented house with a few devotees in Santa Cruz, and he was instructed to... Um, write verses on the walls. This was kind of common, you know, coming out of the hippie era where you would write little messages on the walls, uplifting thoughts, and especially in rented houses. So when the next person comes along, then they can know what you were about. So Gurmaj and some other devotees were given the service of writing these verses. And um, of all the verses that he could have chosen, he chose these four verses of the Gita, the Chatu Shloki. And he actually hadn't even read the Gita yet, but these are the ones that he chose. And this particular verse is the first verse that he had um, committed to memory. So it has just a little more connection to Targur Maharaj and other verses. So the Gita, as we've been hearing, it's Upanishadic in nature, and it differentiates between um, consciousness and matter. Because consciousness is not a thing, it's not part of the objective world, it's very difficult to describe it. 
it's we can't find the words as to what it is because we have there's really nothing in the realm of experience that we have to compare it to so you things are usually described in comparison to something else but there it's not a thing so it's difficult to describe in positive terms mostly krishna it's described as to what it is not right it cannot be burned it cannot be withered by the wind it cannot um, be diminished it it is not an nati nati which is it is not this it is not that consciousness is entirely different from the natural world but it doesn't mean that it is unnatural it just means that it is supernatural so krishna in the bhagavad gita he is a philosopher and he speaks very sobering words of wisdom he has caught us in the middle of the ocean in a hurricane so who can hear about higher topics when we are disturbed so he starts off by kind of calming us down and centering us as to what we are who we are and he gives us stabilizing knowledge which guru maharaj terms as the ground of being it's something substantial that we can stand on and not be carried away by other things we can stand there and actually hear what krishna has to say understanding <clears throat> excuse me understanding ourselves um, from being different from matter that we're not reducible to matter means that although we will undergo a biological death we will not die so that is a huge place to begin as we move into the middle six chapters of the gita krishna begins to speak not just about the nature of being unto ourselves who we are unto ourselves but rather in relationship to him without our relationships without someone to love our capacity to love is limited to ourselves and the love is indeterminate and it has no definition and we can see that um sukadev goswami was experiencing this type of love the ananda of the atma or the pure love of the self but as he showed and as we also have experienced to a certain degree that love of the self only goes so far it's kind of a static one note although it's lovely it um it is it is limited and love is valued on a scale of reciprocity we think one person is my mother because she reciprocates my love in a motherly way or he is my friend because he reciprocates my love in a friendly way and we might have experienced this guy is a creep because he doesn't reciprocate my love at all so it's the reciprocity that churns up feelings that we could not churn up on our own to be free of identification with the natural world which is where what krishna is speaking about in the first six chapters um and the identification that clutters the fact that i am that i am eternal i am the experiencer it is a huge thing but it is the beginning 
loving to exist is nowhere near existing to love. So these middle six chapters, the theology of the Gita <clears throat> is where bhakti is brought into the picture. And with the ingress of bhakti in our lives, there is a possibility of loving another. And this wisdom that Krishna provides is the wisdom that forms the foundation for love, wise love, which is what we spoke about last week. And this wise love is where the Srimad Bhagavatam picks up and centers on. Srila Prabhupada describes the Gita as the civilization of the intellect or the buddhi and the Bhagavat as the civilization of the soul itself. So the soul, the center of the Bhagavatam is the 10th canto of the 12 cantos where it describes the gopi's life where it describes radha's life with krishna so if the gita is pointing to the bhagavad and the bhagavad is pointing to the center of radha's life with krishna then the four verses that are going to capture the essence of the bhagavad gita from the Gaudiya perspective, it has to be um, more rasic than Upanishadic. The, the message that is given to us is more love-laden, of love-laden content than just speaking of the nature of the self. Now, not all traditions um, speak of these shlokas in this in this way, but fortunately, we have come under the guidance of the Gaudias, and we are fortunate to have this potential available to us. It is like if you've ever watched a movie um, with a child. So a lot of times, they will create children's movies, but kind of with adult language that just goes over the children's heads and it might be a joke or might be some kind of innuendo but it just goes over their head because it's not in their world it's not in their world of experience so this is also how um this the scripture is is written and it takes on the flavor of, of the person who is teaching us. So in this way, the Gaudias, they see things that are, that totally go over other people's heads or around their hearts. Um, we have the Gaudiya perspective and it is different from others. These four verses for the Gaudias are about Rag Bhakti and they're all about moving, moving beyond the being. For some, being is, is the end all, but for us, that is, is the beginning. And Gaudiya Vaishnavism um, holds our prospect for loving. There's so much knowledge that is given so that we can understand what we are and what we are not, simply so that we can go beyond it. Just like Krishna um, in the beginning is explaining his Aishvarya qualities. But the reason that he does that is so that he actually can go beyond it and have something to, to compare his sweetness to. So for us, it is also similar, similar to that. Um, we can understand who the self is simply so that we can go beyond it. It is not the goal. And as Gurmar says, I, I love the way he puts this, that we can fly high in the sky of loving potential with dasyam, sakyam, vatsalyam, or madhuryam. So today's verse um, applies to perfected persons 
as well as those who have just begun to tread the path of bhakti. We may not have love in our heart for Krishna. It's not fully developed, but it is there in seed form, having been blessed by the Vaishnavas. So an un one of the understandings of this verse applied to perfected persons comes from our very own Srila Sridhar Maharaj. While he was living with Srila Prabhupada for six years, um, during that time, he was writing his Bhagavad Gita. And when he was contemplating on this verse, this verse, <laughs> I always forget to turn the slide, sorry. Um, while he was contemplating on this verse, he got some inspiration that he really felt he needed to check with, was check on with someone. So he was already living with Srila Prabhupada. So he shared his thoughts with him um, to make sure that the direction he was going with, with this verse was, was appropriate. And Srila Prabhupada confirmed that, yes, what you're saying, it, it must be so. And his insights to this verse are unique and realized. And it is also, this little interaction is also an indication of Srila Prabhupada's and Srila Sridhar Maharaj's Vaishnav relationship. It was very friendly and close and intimate and based on discussing topics of, of Krishna. So the verse says to those who are constantly devoted to serving me with love, I give them the understanding by which they can come to me. Srila Sridhar Maharaj's insight was that since these verses are about Rag Bhakti, and it speaks of devotees who are already serving Krishna with love. Why would Krishna say that he would give them the understanding to come to him? They're already there, they're already with him. So what he drew from this query in his mind was that it refers to the Leela, and how to meet Krishna in the Leela. Um, that he will give directions through his friends as to how and when and where they can meet up, in what kunja, on what day, at what time. So this is such a deep Rasic understanding um, of this of this verse, but you can, can see where Srila Sridhar Maharaj was coming from in his own rasic feelings. And the, the actual churning of the verse and the way that he um, approached it is itself a playing out of the verse. He's, he was constantly devoted to Krishna and he's serving him with love. So, because of that, Krishna reciprocated and gave him this further understanding as to how to meet, how to come to Krishna. This verse is also found in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, where Krishnadas Kaviraj cites it twice. Once when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is giving instruction to Sanatan Goswami, Sanatan Prabhu asks Chaitanya, you know, I heard that while you were in Puri, you had commented on the Atmarama Shloka of the Bhagavatam, and you had explained it in 64 different ways during your conversation with Sar Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya. And I was hoping that, because I was not there, if you could please repeat that extraordinary explanation to me now. So Lord Chaitanya replied and he's like, well, yeah, 
I was moved to say a few things, but I have no idea what I said. Um, so I, I don't remember them. And then he proceeded to give an additional 60 some explanations, which were different from the earlier ones. In this context um, of that explanation, this verse is cited and it supports the idea that consistent service will not go in vain, that the effort we put into bhakti will be fruitful. And what is the fruit? The fruit is further inspiration. By applying oneself in bhakti, we will get the inner insight and the inspiration in due course of time that will shed greater light on the path itself and the goal. The other time that Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami cites this verse is in the beginning of the Chaitanya Charitamrita, where he speaks about it in relation to the idea that Krishna is the guru. As such, Krishna resides within our heart and he gives instructions by the way which we may progress. And largely he does this by manifesting externally from within the heart as a saint who can instruct us about the path of bhakti. The guru is a particular and pertinent manifestation of Krishna. He is the most prominent form of Krishna in our lives. And this guru tattva is the central point of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. The verse is cited to substantiate the point that the guru is one and one with that the one is Krishna, but appears in multitudes of forms in order to teach us. The unity of the guru shows that um, although he appears in multiple forms, he gives the same teachings that there is a loyalty to Shastra that is the unity of a multitude of, of gurus. But the multitude of gurus are different in appearance and details, the, the way that they explain the, the teachings. And these differences can be from one disciple to another disciple, or it could be from one sangha to another sangha. But they're all giving the same teachings speaking from the same text, the same philosophy that is, that's the abade, the non-difference. And then the bade is the difference. It's the style of the presentation, the details that take into consideration the time, circumstance, and the individuals involved. There, there's also the chance that we might have more than one guru. We could have a Diksha guru and a Shiksha guru. And there's misunderstandings in the current Gaudiya Vaishnava community where the, the Shiksha guru should not teach something different than the Diksha guru. And there is, um, truth in that, but it's also mis misunderstood. Um, Gurmarj explains that one should, the, should be one, that the Diksha and the Shiksha Guru should be one in terms of being in the same Sampradaya. Not that the Shiksha Guru has to explain everything in exactly the same way that the Diksha Guru does. Um, 
but that the Shiksha Guru should have gotten the same mantras that the Diksha Guru has, has given to, to us. And it doesn't mean that the details of the instruction should be the same, because if that were the case, then why would we even need Shiksha Gurus? There should be differences because, because there are different circumstances. But the that mantra that we are given in should be in the same sampradaya, the same lineage. And it should be the understanding of the pursuit of that mantra should be the, the same. Because the mantra is is a seed of all the instructions that we will receive and all that is to be realized. So there should be some commonality. Um, there is much that the mantra holds that will be unfolded. But those instructions that come, the details can be different as long as we, they're all pointing in the same direction. So if we think about it, you know, there are so many gurus because there are so many varieties of love. Just in, I mean, a lame kind of example, but in our everyday life, ordinary life, if you go shopping for toothpaste, you know, how many different kinds of toothpaste are there? I Googled toothpaste this morning just to see what came up. And there were 67 and a half million responses on Google. There's something like a thousand different kinds of toothpaste. So why is that? Do we need a thousand different kinds? Not really, but because people are different and they have different likes and they're different needs, the toothpaste companies are catering to all those differences, whether those differences are perceived or not. And so if there's that many toothpastes, what to speak, how many varieties of love there, there must be for Krishna, relating to Krishna, since he is Rasaraj, Swayam Bhagavan, and he wants to taste all the varieties of love. So if we have a thousand different kinds of toothpaste, there are gazillions, unlimited kinds of love. So the guru who helps us um, draw out that love can be many. Krishna is saying, now I am giving you the power for understanding me further in greater detail. And I do so through the medium of my representative, the guru. In this form, I am coming to you personally, specifically, and custom designed. We have our own mixture of alloys that we have developed since time immemorial. And the guru has the perfect combination of remedies to treat our specific ailments. It is now you can get personalized drugs. So our guru is, is a personalized form that is perfectly suited to bringing us along the path of bhakti. So when is it that the guru comes? Do the guru comes, Krishna expands himself from the heart when, when we are in necessity. There's a popular saying, when the student is ready, the teacher will, will appear. Now, not so much known, there's a second part to that, which is when the student is truly ready, the teacher will disappear. So. That's not our philosophy, thank God. Our guru, our teacher, our friend will never disappear. So, but what does that ready 
the student is ready. What, what does that mean? What, is, what does it mean to be ready? It means to have necessity. Krishna responds in, in love to that necessity. So it is, it's quite natural. When I was um, growing up, even before I had met the devotees, there's this book called Jonathan Livingston Siegel. I don't know if you have ever heard of it. It was, it was kind of encapsulated my philosophy of life also. I really believe that everything we had to know, we already knew. We just didn't know that we knew it. Um, of course, I learned many times that that wasn't true, but, um, but that was kind of how I lived my life. Now, a part of the book that I didn't understand until later, actually, it was about seeking a guru. So when I was in college, I felt that I had, um, I couldn't figure it out anymore. I had done everything I was supposed to do by societal standards. I was a good student. I was a good daughter. I was smart. I was going to go places. And I was absolutely miserable. Um, there was nothing really that held um, any prospect for happiness in, in the world. And I, um, I was in a desperate situation and I, real, I felt I need a teacher. <laughs> I can't go beyond the ceiling of my own brain. I, there has got to be more because this is just not enough. And I need a teacher. So I called a, an old friend of mine who we had a mutual friend where I, at a, at a gathering, I saw this guy bloom a flower in his hand. So I thought he's gotta know something that, that I don't know. I don't know how to bloom a flower in my hand. Um, but it just seemed like there was a different realm in which he was existing. So I asked our, my friend to get his contact because I really, I was at the end of as far as I could go myself. So it was later that week that I met the devotees. And as soon as I saw this devotee, um, it was obvious that he had something way more than I could have ever figured out on my own. So that was my entrance into this wonderful path. And my story is not unique. This is actually the system. This is how it works. This is the fabric upon which the entire Bhagavatam is woven. Maharaj Parikshit learns that he has seven days to live. As Gurmaraj has told, um, you know, we all have seven days to live. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So he was put on notice and he prepares himself by going to the banks of the Ganges. This was a crisis for him. And he expressed that crisis in the form of questions. Like, what is it that one should be preoccupied with in life? What is the most important thing to do? How should we die? Not when oftentimes when we're in crisis, we, the only question we ask is, why me? You know, he didn't ask why me. He asked, what should I be doing now? I am here. He didn't fight it. He, he accepted what was happening to him and wanted to make the most of it. So out of this crisis and need for instruction that was far beyond what existed within his own mind and experience, 
without Facebook, without Twitter, and without even TikTok or whatever it's called now, um, Sukadev Goswami appeared on the scene, responding to the inner necessity of Maharaj Parikshit. So we can see that there, there is a system built in here. The guru isn't some kind of foreign oppression, an external invasion coming to us to control us, right? To, to mold us into something different from, from what we want, from our own highest potential. He or she is is our highest potential. He answers the necessity that we have, the inner necessity. However, over time and because of the power of bhakti itself, because of the mercy, the powerful effects of, effects of Kleshagni and Shubhada, which are the removal of suffering and the granting of auspiciousness, it is easy to lose sight of this phenomenon, this exchange that we have all had, which has manifested the guru in our life. So it's kind of natural, like if we have a splinter, to remove the splinter, you might use a pair of tweezers, but once the tweezers, once the splinter is gone, we don't um, we don't have that, such necessity anymore. The suffering is over and we don't think about the tweezers. I hope I don't go to hell for comparing my guru to a pair of tweezers. But um, we can see that the, the natural tendency is if we are not suffering in a certain way, then <clears throat> the necessity for the solution is minimized. So if we can remember that moment of our utter honesty and introspection when we first cried out, I need a guru, then something will come back from, from the universe. And what comes back is the voice of Sri Guru. And he articulates what we feel inside but we didn't have the words to express. Like um, when Dhruva was wanted to offer prayers to Vishnu, he was just so, he didn't have the words. So Vishnu touched him with his conch shell. So the guru is, is, has that same, that same experience for us. We, the words are within us. It makes sense when he, when he speaks, everything just, it rings true and all the dots are connected. It's not some kind of foreign or extraneous thing to us, but it is profound and beautiful. And he speaks in such a way that we, we never, we never could. And it's kind of like feeling all of my planets are now, now aligned and all is well in the universe. It feels right. It feels like being at home, home where we can be ourself. And with the voice and the figure, the persona of the guru, he touches our heart and it is natural and familiar, not an oppression. So Maharaja's, Pariksha Maharaja's necessity, which was born out of good reason, I'm dying, he was cursed, he's dying. It is actually a necessity of all of us. And it is more likely today than it was yesterday. And it's, it's not a, to, to think in this way is not a morbid, um, preoccupation with death or nor is it even an otherworldliness. It, it is a look, it's a look beyond the appearance 
of disappearance. It's a pulling back the, the, the falsity of the disappearance. And it's, it's exciting. It's extremely exciting because the Bhagavatam shows us not only what is beyond mortality, but what is on the other side of immortality. The guru doesn't show us just the difference between consciousness and matter, but what it can do, what consciousness can do, what we can do if we are, as he says, unfettered by matter without the constraints of physical and mental identification. What our what are our possibilities, our potentials? And this is the subject of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. This is the form, I'm probably going to cry. This is a form of our guru. Parikshit Maharaj's questions, they were answered in no uncertain terms with a deluge of insight. And the big problem of death, huge problem of death, became small, so, so small. Shukadeva Goswami responding to the necessity of Maharaj Parikshit. Just by his appearance, Shukadeva's appearance seemed to have solved the problem of, of death. Shukadeva appeared naked. He had nothing, yet he had such a countenance about him, such a, a being, such an energy that everyone in the assembly was able to discern he knows something. He knows he has got the answer. Let Shukadev speak. So he came out of nowhere, but he was there all the time. As much as our necessity, as much as the necessity is there within us, we can recognize this figure of the guru in our lives as part of us. Now, it might be part of the guru's business to try to keep us in this crisis mode so that we can understand what he is there for, to put out the fire, to extinguish the sangsara. Yes. But that is actually just the beginning. It is extinguishing the fire of samsara is, is actually a byproduct of the greater gift he has to give. The guru can take us far beyond that by solving the problem of material attachment in the context of affording us attachment to Krishna by giving us entrance into the life of Leela. This necessity is, it's not just static, it's, it's moving, it's a kind of utsaha, an enthusiasm, a lolium, a lobia, which, loba, which attracts Krishna's attention. And he responds by giving us all the inspiration and instruction we need to come close to him. Jivas are being inspired at every moment as to how to move in the world to fulfill all kinds of desires. So it just seems natural that wouldn't there be a system in place for bringing us closer to Krishna? So. There is, of course there is. And that system is Sri Guru. He or she is Krishna's response. They hold the very prospect of our potential. If you think in normal, ordinary life, um, I used to be interested in multi-level marketing uh, schemes. And if you've ever been to a conference, they will pull the most successful person on the stage, the one who drives a fancy car, 
the one who lives in a big house, the one who has a big bank balance, all in the purpose to inspire the downline, so to speak. So we, we're the downline. We are receiving from, uh, from above. And in the same way, the guru stands before us as our goal, not just the goal, but the, the method also. He comes to guide us on the course and to take us out of this forest, out and to the homeland of the heart. Srila Prabhupada uses, uh, um, he, he made a powerful and loving description of the holy name. It's in one of the recordings put out by the Bhaktivedanta archives. In the beginning where he talks about the holy name, he mentions that, well, he more than mentions, he declares that the holy name is not an artificial imposition on the mind. And in the same way, Sri Guru is not an artificial imposition on our mind. Guru Maharaj goes so far as to say that the Guru is the shape of our cry. I mean, that's such a beautiful image. He's in the shape of our cry for Krishna. I am in crisis and my own instruments and faculties are insufficient to deal with. I need help. And it is a cry of help that does not go unanswered. When Guru speaks and we listen, something wonderful will happen. I have another little story of myself with Guru Maharaj. I had known Guru Maharaj for quite a while. I was going to Archana City and Karnamrita Prabhu's home. And Although I really respected him, and it was obvious that he was not an ordinary devotee, I never really thought of him as my guru. I wanted him to be other people's gurus, but I never thought of him as being my guru. Um, I felt honored to host him in my home and to introduce him to new devotees, but still I hadn't made that connection to his current. Then one day my husband and I, we brought some students from my husband's Gita class to Guru Maharaj for initiation. And right before the program began, I was outside with a devotee and she came she was so excited and she told me that she was going to receive mantra from Guru Maharaj, although she had received Harinam from someone else in another institution. And I didn't, I didn't know it was possible. I was part of the, um, what's it called? When appointed gurus, I can't remember the term. Oh, good, yay, can't even remember the term. But anyway, and I, I, like I said, I didn't know that that was possible. And I don't remember everything she was saying because so many thoughts were swirling in my mind. But I do remember hearing her say that the person who gives you mantra, he, they claim you, you're theirs. And I instantly and deeply felt like a rock melting my heart, rock-like heart melting, and this burning desire to be claimed by Guru Maharaj, to come under his guidance, to, to make his life my life. I, I, I actually felt some envy towards this person because I was thinking that it was not possible for me. And I can remember my heart just screaming out, you know, I, I want to go where he is going. He's going something, someplace wonderful. And I want to go there and I want to 
be with him there and serve there. And just as I was, was thinking that, um, the door opened and somebody yelled from the doorway, hey, is there anyone else who'd like to be initiated? And without my usual hesitation and self-doubt and what ifs and buts, I just blurted out, yes, me. And that was the beginning of my beginning. So any tiny spark we have, we must place ourselves in front of a fan in such a way that it allows that spark to blaze into the cause of necessity. So, Tesham Satatayuktanam, they are always united with me. Bajatam Pratipurvakam, in loving union, Dadami Buddhi Yogam Tam, to them I give Buddhi Yoga, I give the knowledge. Yenamam upayantite, by which they can come to me. It is such a wonderful system. And our Gurudev is such a beautiful heart. I, I pity those poor people who believe that we don't need gurus. We can take initiation Ritvik. We don't need a living guru. They are so much missing out. And uh, I feel sorry for them. So that concludes my talk today. Um, are there any <clears throat> corrections or additions or questions you'd like to share? That was good again. <laughs> And also, I, I, I just wanted to, I like that example of the little child and going to a movie and how it's above their head, some of the talk in there. And I also was wondering, and I like your story about Guru Maharaj and getting initiated, that was cool. And also, um, what you said that you saw your first experience was with with a devotee was <clears throat> someone told you that he's over there blooming a flower. Was that a devotee, a Hare Krishna no. devotee blooming a flower? No, oh. he wasn't. He wasn't a devotee. I'm not sure really who he was or what path he was on. I hadn't met the devotees at that time. Um, okay, because you said devotee, so I was like, was that a Hare Krishna devotee? No, sorry, I, I didn't mean to say that. Um, it was before I had met the devotees. And then the person that I had met was um, Stamba in State College. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. That was a very inspirational class. I loved it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Anything Hi. else? Yeah, Shamsaki wants to say that now we can all see where I get my emotions from. <laughs> yes, like like daughter, crying, like mother. Crying out of love. And um, I also want to say uh, thanks to you and, and ask what's that kind of guru? Because I said once to Bhakti Rasa, she is my Shiksha guru because she... She is the one who first gave me love for Krishna, but she corrected me and said it was some other type of guru. What was that type of guru? Something that? like Bartma Pradakshaya Guru, the one who introduces you to the path. Yep. Thanks. <laughs> My pleasure. Okay. So, thank you all for joining us. And I appreciate the opportunity. I'm slowly appreciating the opportunity. It's been difficult for me, but we're working on it. So thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. It's Omkar here. Is there still room for another question quickly? Oh, if it's an easy question. Yeah, I suppose it can be easily answered. Um, my question was regarding Guru Tattva and uh, 
I mean, that's pretty in, intuitive process, right? We have to trust that Krishna has provided us brothers and guru. So yes. what about other types of intuitive approaches to bhakti and insights that we may have and realizations? In our sangha, there seems to be a bit of a, um, I don't know how to say it, uh, reservance, if that's a correct way to put it, toward intuition and how we use it. Um, would you have any comment on that? I actually, I think Guru Maharaj encourages that, actually. Um, he wants us to think. And if we, and to be inspired, um, that's, that's the goal. And because we are inspired, it doesn't mean that we have no need for the guru. We, just like Srila Sridhar Maharaj, he was inspired with, from within to understand the shloka in a certain way. And then he checked with somebody just to, to make sure, to sound it out. Is this, does this sound appropriate? Does this, is this in correspondence with guru, sadhu, and shastra? So absolutely intuition should be there. Inspiration should be there. And if we are ever in question or in doubt as to the veracity of it, that's, we have a sangha full of other wonderful hearts that we can check our inspirations with. Does that work for you? Yeah, I suppose uh, it's uh, kind of relative to what type of intuition uh, or what type of a situation you're using to, to intuitively interpret. I mean, there's a lot of occasions that I thought, oh, there's some kind of a sign from above and telling me I should do this and that. And then later I realized, oh man, that was lame. That was not at all what was going on. <laughs> and uh, yeah. sort of like uh, embarrassingly so. So yeah, I, yeah, I suppose, we're, we're, thank you. That's inspiring to hear, yeah. I think we are going to hit and miss um, until we hear, you know, Krishna literally speaking from within our heart, we are going to miss sometimes, but um, but we should allow things and not just allow, but we should watch for Krishna to speak to us through the environment. This is what Lord Chaitanya did. He, the grass spoke to him. I mean, he, he allowed that, allowed that to happen. And the more we, um, progress and the more we hear from, from others, then I think the less we will, we will miss the mark. Um, but it's, we are to, we are to take inspiration from the environment and, uh, think that yes, Krishna is, is speaking. I, um, I like Native American philosophy also. And one of their animal totems is, um, is a hawk. And a hawk represents a messenger. And it's not just that um, he's bringing a message, but he's making you aware that somewhere right now there is a message, something you, you need to hear, you need to learn from your environment right now. So. Um, I think that is a big part of being a conscious sadhaka is to hear the scriptures through our, through the world, to see the world through, through that and to hear, listen for Krishna. Yeah, I mean, we can't learn how to use our intuition if we never use it. That's why I'm kind of like yes. disappointed that a lot of people do not use their intuition. They try to rationalize their way out of everything. And it's kind of sad and it's discouraging to me as well, because I don't know. I like to stumble around while I'm doing things, uh, obviously, but I've learned a lot of things through that. And uh, yeah, I, I just want to encourage more people to do it, even though it's embarrassing sometimes. And I think we're also different, we're different people. So not everybody is going to be moved um, by the same method. Some will 
naturally gravitate towards intuition and looking for signs and being conscious of those things and other other people may not but it's we're just in different places so we need not get discouraged by the fact that other people don't do it but rather um keep doing what we are inspired to do and as we do that then even within our own group we will find like-minded people who are also um, value that same method of knowledge and the same method of understanding. So go forth, my friend. Jai, thank you, that was nice. And your class was wonderful, very nice. Thank you for those. All right, have a good day, everybody. Thank you so much. I love you all, Haribo.